Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another episode of Crushing Cashflow. I've got Brian Bradley's with me today. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Andrew. Thanks for uh, having me on. And it's going to be an important topic, a great topic. And, you know, I'm not anybody's legal guru, so let's just get that out of the way. You know, it's just we're living in a really fascinating time right now and people are getting sued and laws are being changed and policies drastically changing every day. And, you know, we're seeing people getting sued that normally aren't, wouldn't be getting sued. So I think the topic we're going to be talking about today and like how to protect your assets and your wealth and your legacy, your retirement is going to be more important now than ever. Absolutely. I mean, it, it may not be on, you know, the sexiest topic or on the first in everybody's mind, but it absolutely should be. <laughs> uh, I talk a little bit different about, you know, like boring things like law and tax. So maybe I can make, you know, keep your, your audience and listeners awake during this one. Absolutely. So let's hit your background here. What do people need to know about you? And I'm so thankful you're able to join us. It's something we haven't covered really in depth in the first 40 episodes here, but a little bit about Brian's background and senior managing partner at Bradley Legal Corp and leading educator and nationally recognized asset protection attorney for high risk professionals, entrepreneurs, real estate investors, hint, hint, listen up and ultra net worth families, collectively protecting over 5 billion. Yes. With a B worth of assets. His goal is to give you peace of mind, knowing your assets are safe. Couldn't be a more important time to talk about this stuff. So I'm great. I'm glad to have him here. On the accolade side, he was selected to the best attorneys of America list in 2020. Huge accomplishment. Lawyers of distinction list three years in a row, 2018 through 2020. Super lawyers rising star in 2021 and 2015 and nominated to America's top 100 high stake litigators list and top 100 in real estate. So again, really thrilled to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us, Brian. No, again, I'm really happy to be here. And I just hope, you know, I can clear up a lot of the misconceptions that, you know, people are having. I'm definitely going to, you know, I think be blowing up the status quo a lot. So let's start with the basics. You know, how would you describe what is asset protection? Why should people care? Uh, let's start with the fundamentals. Yeah. So, you know, what is asset protection? It's a great question. Um, asset protection is not traditional estate planning. It's modern estate planning. And what we're doing is placing a legal barrier between your assets and uh, you know, a person trying to sue you before it's needed. That's the keyword before. It doesn't work if you come to me being sued, asking me to set this up afterward. Um, it's just a barrier, like a safe for your gold or your guns or other valuables. Anything of value you want to put behind that legal barrier and out of your personal name so that it's not easily attached with, a, you know, attacked with a lien or reach with lawsuits, you know, just like the rich. I really like the Tony Robbins saying that success leaves clues. You know, the rich don't own things in their personal name, their businesses and their estate plans do, their asset protection plans do. They just get the beneficial use and enjoyment out of them while separating out the liability. And what's changed over the years, um, I'm just going to go like jump into your part two question sure. is, you know, the legal system has just drastically changed over the last 40 years. It's no longer about justice, but redistributing your wealth from the haves, which is going to be you as an investor or business owner, or doctor, you know, lawyer, whatever you are, um, to the have nots. Now, for people who grew up with the more old school mindset where lawsuits were never really an issue about 40 years ago, 
You could essentially have everything in your own personal name or in a family trust. That was acceptable then. But over the past 40 years, the litigation landscape has just completely changed. And things that didn't happen in the past or that weren't even allowed to happen in the past, like contingency fee lawyers and law firm advertising, are just commonplace. And this created law firms that are purely sales and profit driven and a cultural shift of now predatory lawsuits and a predatory legal system. Like I said, that's not about justice, but purely profits with now politicians who are also lawyers running the system. And so asset protection is your modern best bet to level that playing field by using all the different tools that we have. And what this does is it makes it very hard for creditors to collect on you And when your plan is then seen as being effective and impenetrable, this then puts you in a lot stronger position at the negotiating table, because I can't stop you from being sued. Nobody can. But what we're focusing on is at different layers, how collectible are you? That's a great point. I mean, when does someone need to start considering this? Is it day one? Is it it a certain net worth position? Like when should one take this really seriously? Yes, that's a great question. I would say like the moment you decide to buy something beyond your personal residence, you know, or if you're going into business and creating a business, you need to start thinking about budgeting and planning for the bad things to happen. And that's what people don't want to do. And so if you're just going out and buying one property, you got to think about how am I going to hold this? Because if I hold it in my personal name, I'm going to be liable. Um, And then you just scale up from there. And there's different stops and different layers during the road of where you go. Like what you set up when you're just starting out and you're green to investing will be completely different and look different at different stops during your investment life. You know, eventually you're going to outgrow that LLC. Eventually you're going to need like a management company. Then eventually as you grow up into like a more, you know, millions of dollars, then you're going to need asset protection trust. And so I can break down these different layers if you want to, but just where you are in the journey of your investment life is going to be different at different spots. That's a great one. I mean, I wanted to take this one step further. I know there's a lot of talk about, hey, can I get by with a legal Zoom or an online LLC versus when should I consult a professional attorney such as yourself? Is there a distinction there or is your answer pretty cut and dry? It, I would say it depends. <laughs> like that is the typical <clears throat> situation. If money is really tight and you just can't rub two pennies together and you're going to you know, go buy an investment property, um, you may just want to create a simple LLC and save some money and do it on your own. But knowing that is the product's not going to be that great from like LegalZoom or one of these legal service providers because they're not law, they're not lawyers, they're not law firms, and lawyers are going to charge more because that's what we do. But not just any particular type of lawyer. You're going to want an asset protection specialist, not someone pretending to be one, um, which is going to be a different and a higher level of protection. So it's going to cost more. Um, for us, really, the magic comes into play at like that second and third, third layer of protection. Um, so I would just say, look at where you are and what you can afford. Something is always going to be better than nothing. Just know LLCs are base layer protection. So for me, I really don't care about the LLC. It's what I do with them later on at different layers of protection. Let's, let's, let's go one level on that too. I mean, I, I think there's, there's probably some misconceptions and you'll, you'll keep us clear here. What do you get exactly? One thinks LLC, I've got one, I'm covered. I've got it in the right states, those you know, lucrative states that you hear about all the time from a tax and, and uh, anonymity perspective. Yeah. What so does that's, that get? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And there's a lot to one layer there. So I'll, I'll probably ramble a little bit on this. And so I'm going to start with it, though, of just like an overall roadmap of asset protection. So your listeners understand like why we even care about this. And so I want them to think about winter time. And when it comes to asset protection, we have different layers, like that first entry layer, like we're talking about that base layer, that foundation, 
Um, it sits on your skin. This is an LLC. Okay. So I'll break down that LLC in a minute. And then as you grow and you add more assets, you're going to want a mid layer, which is generally a little bit thicker, like a sweater or for you ladies, a cardigan. Um, this is the management company, which we'll, which we'll talk about. And then we use a limited partnership for those. That will be that second layer. And then when you hit around 1 million net of unprotected assets, you have, you know, you want to wear like an outer shell layer. This is your waterproof coat. This will keep you nice and dry and warm when the weather's really bad. This is an asset protection trust. But by layering, you're now more flexible and you can adjust and make yourself more comfortable. And now to break these down and again, that LLC in your question, um, the first layer, you know, this asset protection 101, that base layer is your LLC. And it's going to be holding your real estate and risky assets, things that need a key that you need to buy liability insurance for, things that can go boom, all go into an LLC. Now, we know about what they are, but we don't know about the unspoken problems as we grow and why we need to start layering up as we go along. The first problem generally is that most clients have single member LLCs all in their personal name. The problem here is that courts now have a tendency to disregard single member LLCs and CPAs tend to set up LLCs as disregarded entities for tax purposes. Now that's great for taxes, but it's very bad for lawsuits. What being disregarded means is that the IRS is not taxing your business separate from you. It passes through to you personally. And because of this, you're basically, they're basically worthless for asset protection and liability and lawsuit issues because that liability also passes directly through to you. You know, but don't get me wrong, like we use them, but remember just at that base layer foundation level, what you actually want is for that single member LLC that's holding your real estate to then be owned, not by you, the individual, but by that second layer of protection, which then should be a multi-member limited partnership, not an LLC at that second layer. Um, but by doing this, what you're now doing is properly layering your protection. That mid-layer limited partnership will be owning all your LLCs that you're growing with. So those, tax, those LLC tax filings, all those K-1s will just simply then passively flow directly through to that management company. So now you just will have one tax filing. What you're doing is now maintaining the legal protection, um, but we're disregarding them for tax purposes and creating a really smooth and easy transition for fewer tax returns by adding that second layer as a limited partnership. To get to like where to set these up in, you know, like one of your three-part questions here, this, this is the second big problem I see with LLCs is just a lot of confusion on where to even set these LLCs up in. You know, like, do you go to Delaware, Wyoming, Texas? You know, um, And it really just comes down to an issue of what do you hold and where are you holding it at? And so let's say, for example, it's California. And I'm going to pick on California a lot here just because so many people live there, a lot of money there, but it's expensive there. So they invest in other states. Um, so let's say it's California real estate that you own and you're a California resident and you set up a Wyoming LLC because somebody on the internet told you that it was better. And then you go and you hold a key piece of California real estate in it and you're paying California franchise tax on this out-of-state Wyoming LLC. What you've actually done is just convert your Wyoming LLC to a California LLC because you're, not, you're doing business in the state of California. You're paying the franchise tax. But if you ever have a liability issue in California, meaning a lawsuit, The judge in California is going to apply what law? Not Wyoming law. You know, the judge is going to apply California law. And so you thought you were doing yourself a favor by setting up this out-of-state LLC in Wyoming or Delaware, but you're really not. And this is because a judge in California or any other state doesn't care that your LLC is a Wyoming registered LLC. What they care is that it's doing business in California. 
is done this big fancy legal work called availed itself of the protection and laws of California. That's the state the asset is in. That's the state the injury or damage occurred in. It's going to be that state's laws that are going to apply. You don't just take Wyoming or Delaware tort and damage laws with you to another state where the injury occurred in. And so just by simply owning an out-of-state LLC, you have to legally register that LLC as doing business in another state, you know, the state that you live in. So you have to register it in California if you're a California resident or Oregon or Tennessee. This is just basic law. And once you do that, you did that fancy legal word called availed yourself of the privileges and laws of the state that, you know, that you're living in. So for assets that are real estate, I recommend using the state that the real estate is located in because you're not gaining anything by using another state. You're just doubling your maintenance costs. So just keep it simple and properly layer, especially for real estate, because real estate is different. And then to get to your third part of your question, the, the confusing word, anonymity. This is a really big misconception of LLCs. And the thought is that you can just create an anonymous you know, Wyoming LLC and just disappear and poof, you know, like ghost the <laughs> lawsuits, you know, and, nice. and this is just completely false. But I get these questions every day. Um, when your LLC is sued, you're going to be legally required to appear and defend it. And you have, you know, in these Wyoming and Delaware and out-of-state LLCs, you have to have what's called a personal agent of service. And if you don't have one, you didn't legitimately create, you know, a Wyoming or Delaware LLC. Um, also, the simple reality is that once a lawsuit is filed, the discovery process begins and that personal agent of service sole job is to say, hey, guess what, Andrew, you got served. Here's your documents. Go get a lawyer, show up in court and defend yourself. And so what's even worse is that if you want secrecy to even work, also known as lying under oath, that's a one way ticket to jail. And so an example of this is that the creditor suing you, so the person suing you, they have the legal right to demand information about the assets that you own. And the courts, the courts enforce this very broadly, especially when you're not in the South. And so at this point, the only way to actually keep an asset anonymous or a secret is to lie about them and commit perjury. And that's not good. And so we don't advocate for hiding we just prefer to have a full disclosure of a proper asset protection plan and just set it up and you know to properly work and use the strongest jurisdictions for asset protection trust. Um, and so that's really where the magic comes from when you add that third layer of protection, you know, your outer weather shell layer, um, which is a very strong asset protection trust or bridge trust, just placed in the strongest jurisdictions that the U.S. then can't legally reach. Uh, that's, there's so much knowledge there to unpack. I'll have to go back and just make sure I got all that a couple of times. And I recommend the listeners do the same. You know, how did the Delawares and Wyoming's and Nevada's become so popular? It's just internet myth or what, what happened there? No, they have their place in the asset protection world. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's just the legal system has started changing. And what people don't understand is we have the U.S. Constitution. And so and this kind of goes into why offshore asset protection trusts are so strong is because we have... Article 4, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution Full Faith and Credit Clause. So even if you set up this, you know, Nevada Asset Protection Trust, and let's say you have a California judgment, Nevada has to recognize it. And so even even though you have this Nevada LLC or Delaware, Wyoming LLC, you can't just say, well, great, this is Nevada. We're not recognizing it. That's not how our Constitution is set up. And so you can't just ignore them. But when you're offshore, you can. Like literally, if you took a U.S. or any other country's court orders or judgments, so let's say like the Cook Islands, they would just look at it and throw it in the trash and say, well, sorry, we have what's called statutory non-recognition, which we don't recognize any other country's court orders or judgments. 
then there's pros and cons to that as well, just like in everything. Um, but it's, it's not so much a myth. It's just a myth on how people think about it is anonymity. I can just disappear and ghost a lawsuit. No, then you would just have a default judgment entered against you. And real estate, you have to understand is different because it's a holding company that's holding real estate. You're not, con con you're not doing business out of it to where if like you and I, Andrew, created a business together and then our business fell apart and you and I sued each other. That's where Delaware and Wyoming and those states would have more credence because our operating agreements and manuals would give more effect versus a judge telling us what we're going to do to dissolve our company because that's an internal liability dispute. Real estate, you're getting sued externally in like from damages and it's not a business you're running. And so you can't take business law disputes and try to apply them in another state even that has no jurisdictional connection for a personal injury and damage claim because somebody was stupid and did a head dive off of a, you know, out their backyard and broke their neck and became a quadriplegic. And that just happened in Louisiana. There was this $11 million judgment that got rendered from an Airbnb short-term rental guy of, you know, one of the tenants decided to run out the back door being drunk at 2.30 in the morning, did a head dive in a shallow pond, broke his neck, became a quadriplegic, sued the, the owner of the property and got an $11 million judgment out of it. Man, wild times we live in, right? Yeah. That's, that, that's all really powerful stuff. Thanks so much. Uh, if you had to leave us with one tip, if you boiled it down to one thing, people were walked away with one idea or one concept, what would you say? Plan before things go bad. You know, there's nothing you can do if you do things after the fact. That would be you know, like my biggest tip of this. It would be like getting in a car accident and then saying, oh, I'm going to go get insurance now. <laughs> it doesn't, really? doesn't work that way. Sounds so simple, but it's so powerful. So again, thanks so much for, for breaking off all that knowledge in such a short period. If, if those listening want to learn more and contact you, how do we go about doing that? What's the best yeah, way? Yeah, absolutely. They can jump on my website, www.btblegal.com. And I have my website set up more as an educational resource, um, a lot of case law um, and educational videos, a lot of you know frequently asked questions there, because I'd rather just have you educated to be able to ask good questions when you're shopping around. Um, or you can just email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com and email me, you know, like I'd rather just answer your questions, whether, you know, we're a good match or not, you know, to work with, we'll figure it out, but I'd rather just have you have a good knowledge base. That's awesome. It's hard to ignore that offer. So thanks so much, Brian. I know. Thank you. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.